Welcome to The Boundless Self, a podcast that is here to explore all of the ways in which we limit ourselves. Together, we will explore the deep, messy, exciting, and often uncomfortable topics to identify and heal everything that keeps you from believing in your boundless potential. I'm your host, Kathleen McBride, and becoming boundless changed everything for me. Now I run a life and a business embracing my own fears and helping people all around the world to believe in themselves. Tune into each episode and join me on your journey of becoming your most boundless self. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of The Boundless Self. I'm so excited to have you here, and you are in for a juicy, very interesting episode today. Before we go into today's episode though, I just want to give you a little reminder to take a pause, take a breath with me now and just check in with yourself, check in with how you're doing, how you're feeling, how's your mental health today, how's your body today, what are your thoughts like and try and give yourself anything that you might need, whether that's some words of kindness and compassion, whether it's some words of motivation whether it's some validation that you're allowed to feel the way you feel. Practice meeting your own needs today. And it's really timely with today's episode. So this episode was just, wow, it was incredible. I'm joined by an amazing guest, Jacob, who shares with us incredibly vulnerably his story with addiction and his recovery. Jacob also shares with us the healing modality that he has learned and is sharing more and more with the world called self-inquiry that helped him not only heal his addiction, but also helped him with physical pain like migraines and lower back pain. In this episode, like I said, Jacob vulnerably shares his story with addiction, going to rehab, multiple relapses. If this is something that you are struggling with or something that is close to your chest, please make sure that you decide whether this episode is for you or not and look after yourself as always. In the episode, Jacob also breaks down for us the modality of self-inquiry, what it involves and how you can begin to feel your feelings even more as Jacob believes that a big part of his addiction was caused by suppressed emotions. And this modality is just an incredible tool to add to your toolbox on this journey of healing, of growth, of discovery, and of feeling your feelings and emotions. This has allowed Jacob to be more present and more connected in his life. And it's pretty incredible. And if you're loving these episodes and the podcast, please don't forget to share this episode on your stories and tag me. I'm at Kathleen.MindsetCoach. I'd love to see it. And I also ask that you rate and review the podcast or click the little bell icon in the top right hand corner so that you can get notified when a new episode is released. So buckle up for another juicy episode. So excited to have you here and let's dive in. Thank you so much for being here today. How are you feeling? I'm good, Kathleen. I'm good. Good. You excited to be here? Yes, I am excited and nervous. And nervous? I love it. All the nerves are welcome. But do you want to start with us just sharing a bit about, yeah, about your journey with addiction and yeah, what, what happened? Tell us your life story. Um, yeah, so basically what happened, <laughs> it's hard to like put it into one big overarching story, I guess. But So basically, I first started using around 15, 16. Um, started using IV drugs like morphine, um, Oxycontin, those sort of things. And I, I pretty quickly um, went from like just drinking and things like that straight to using intravenous, right? So pretty hectic uh, yeah. you know, start to my... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I for me, like... I would, I do identify as an addict, like I have an addicted personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but also prior to that, like what people would consider as like the start of the addiction, which is like, okay, we started using IV drugs as a bit of drinking. 
prior to that, there were a lot of early warning signs. Um, really? Yeah. So I was, I was a bit of a, I used to read obsessively like under the table at school. And <laughs> I lots of us did that. I remember doing that too, but wow. So it, de- it definitely was next level though. It was like, you know, and all so the like, time. When you, you, so you were really able when you started going through that process, you were able to really go, Oh, that like, I can see some of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially, you know, this is, this is the thing about addiction too, is like a lot of this stuff once you start to fully really heal and integrate all these different parts, you really see how it wasn't just the drugs and all these different things are related. And so there was like, you know, I was moving from group to group and didn't quite feel like I belonged in each group, but kind of liked each group as well. And so there's a kind of feeling of fitting in, but not fitting in and, uh, you know, moving from group to group and then, you know, uh, and, and just not feeling like a part of anything. And then, you know, they got worse in high school. Um, and, and there was just kind of a sense of just drifting for a a long period of time, Mm. which, uh, you know, led to, and I wasn't aware of this at the time, but it just turned into impulsive and compulsive behavior. Um, you know, I think a lot of people might see, you know, at least the way that I experienced addiction was much more just like, I, I was not even aware of the thoughts I was having at the time. It's just kind of like, you know, when you're young, you're going. We sadly never are, are we? No. I wish we were. But <laughs> imagine. Imagine that. Imagine, imagine if in school at like 14 they're teaching you like thought awareness work. Like you'd exactly. be like, what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. Oh, yeah. Wow. Because, yeah. So it's just like, you know, when people are partying in their 20s and stuff and they give it up, they go, oh, actually, I was going through a bit there at the same time. Or, yeah. So. Fuck, right. Um, like your, your early 20s and like your late teens are such a interesting time where you are literally like trying on all these hats being like okay like i'm leaving school i'm starting to become an adult but like i have no idea who the fuck i am i have no idea what life is like but yet i have all this stuff that i can do and be and i don't want to fuck it up and all this pressure right like it's an intense time yeah oh yeah it's so much pressure and i just you know i think through especially with the kind of drugs i told i I was using it's just a very avoidant sort of way like you know and and with the addiction that i had which was opiates mainly um, I didn't really have too much of a problem with um, drinking or anything like that, although I was using them. Um, yeah. It's just very, very, uh, like any time there is a thought, feeling or whatever that's unpleasant, you push it down. Yeah. That's basically the core of addiction. Dumb it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so over time, uh, you know, they're our emotional formative years. And over time, that process, while other people with everyone has their issues, right? But in the case of severe chronic addiction, where I'm using five, you know, I'm in my, I'm up in my room, I'm using five, 10 times a day. Wow. You know, while other people are out there engaging, a lot of my emotional development, uh, well, instead of my emotions coming up, I'll push them down. And so a lot of my work has been basically undoing the damage of emotional oppression. That's it. That's it in a kind of, in a nutshell, I guess. So. And can I ask what were, so you said some of the, the red flags or the warning signs that you noticed was the obsessive reading under the desk. Like, what was that like? Um, I think yeah. <laughs> it could funny. be really easily like passed off as off as just like, you know, a young kid being really excited about something, you know? Yeah. And I loved reading. Like yeah. the, that's the thing. It's like, but the thing is there is a kind of avoidance going on there of yeah. what, what's happening around me. And, and uh, what were you, what were you reading? Were you reading? Oh, like- I was reading like Jaws. Uh, one of them was ah. Jaws and like uh, Matilda and um, Enid Blyton books and, um, so like real stories with like things that you could kind of get engrossed in, you know, like yeah. fantasy and like even I love looking at the like studies done around imaginary friends and like the the land of fantasy that it takes you into, you know, like why do you think there's a multi-billion trillion, I don't even know how many trillions dollar like film industry, you know, and 
it's because we love that. We love to feel like we're not living our lives. We're living something else, right? Yeah, true. Yeah, definitely. And that's exactly what was happening. Like, yeah, reading. I, lo- I think I was reading Harry Potter obsessively. I think I was oh, I'm, I'm yeah. obsessed with Harry Potter. I still <laughs> yeah. obsessively oh, so read the books. So that was one replay. Did you notice any other warning signs that now that you're looking back? Um, yeah, so I think... Uh, yeah, well, I was getting migraines, so that's that's the other big thing did, too. Yeah, when did they start? Like quite young. Uh, I think so. It's hard for me to pin down exactly, but it's between eight to twelve. I th- I wow. think on the young end of eight. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe eight or nine. Sometimes some of my memories are. Um, I remember I went into uh, the bathroom and I had such a bad headache, migraine, and I I uh, turned on the cold tap to to help it because it was just so painful um, and. Like now with all the work that I've done, I'm joined a connection, um, which actually my migraines and my addiction are connected in a very interesting way. Mm-hmm. So, but that started back then. So in some way, I don't know exactly what starts this kind of emotional repression, but I can say that it was kind of the way that I was when I was quite young from yeah. eight, eight years old. Wow. Isn't that, is that crazy for you to look back and go like you see it from right then, like that it started then? Yeah. Well, um, even today, like, uh, that actual memory actually only came back to me maybe like two or three days ago when really? I was doing some self-inquiry. They're still, they're still unlocking. And for anyone who doesn't know what I mean by unlocking, I think when you start doing, for me, when I started doing somatic work, I literally would just have random memories just drop in that I'd never even realized had happened before of when I was like five years old, 10 years old, 15 years old. And it's quite shocking, right? Like it's quite like, holy crap, yeah. how did that happen? And why am I only just remembering it, you know? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, so that was like, you know, linked to, I can't remember exactly what it, I can't remember what it was linked to, but I just remember seeing it. And then I kind of paused afterwards and I was thinking, oh, wow. So this, this I've forgotten this memory and this is, this is how long it's been going on for. Um, Fuck. And that's why you go, wow, that was, it was so powerfully ingrained, right? And it started yeah. like really, like you can see your addiction really connected to this physical pain of migraines. And so did the migraines continue on throughout your life? And is that what, started you to, to taking these opioids and things to, to help numb that pain? Is that how it started or? Yeah, I think it was, de- it's definitely a contributing factor. Yeah, for sure. It's like part of that. And, um, you know, the isolation I was starting to feel because of, so basically I think that the emotional repression was there, which prevented the, the connection, the full authentic connection with a lot of my friends group, which, you know, but then the migraines and the um, addictions made all of that much worse. Yeah. So you were like almost, physically unable to you had this physical symptom that was stopping you from being able to actually connect with your peers right which was probably the thing you needed to help you go through some of those emotions that were coming up right because it's a big part of how especially children right we they process their emotions because you know you got to talk to them about it they've got to be able to make sense of what's going on because as a kid feeling an emotion is just you've no idea what's going on right like absolutely no idea yeah no idea And, and if something is repressed like especially um, you know, the migraines would cause a lot of fogginess and confusion, which is really just like that. That's what would happen. And I get it for days and I really wasn't and like a lot of stress as a result. So yeah. really, that's just all these unprocessed emotions causing the psychosomatic reaction. And um, yeah. so like really impacting like what I heard was really impacting your attachment, like really impacting yeah. that like yeah. core survival need to be connected to others, to feel like you belong, to feel like you're accepted, which led to even more feelings of isolation. Right. Yeah, exactly. And this, the thing is, like, that all together causes the disconnection with yourself and because you feel disconnected in yourself, you don't feel as connected with other people as you can. It's, it's really just an autopilot in a way, um, especially with that kind of addiction. You know, like, 
I did it. So I used basically from 15 to 25, 26, you know, nonstop. Wow. And it got really, really bad. Um, I ended up having to go to rehab. Um, so it, it got, it got really, I could have died multiple times, you know. Yeah. How, how did it impact your life? And yeah, like what did life look like for you throughout that time? Um, oh man, I was like, I was always, one part of me was desperate to get this under control. Like I was just always like, yeah, were you aware, were you aware that it was an issue? (laughs) This is the the weirdest thing. So I, of course I was. So I like, I would have given up drugs 20 to 30 times plus around that, that time period, you know? So like, I, I knew there was an issue. I wanted to fix it, but I didn't have the tools and the resources and the self-understanding to get there because the majority of the the, the information that I was told was basically just get off drugs and sort your life out. But get so helpful, wasn't it? And when people just tell you, sort your life out, come on. <laughs> so helpful. And, it, and see, the thing is from the perspective of like, okay, if you, I'm going to give up drugs, you look out and you see that's what people are doing, right? You go, okay, people are getting up in the morning, they're going to work, they're living their life. Well, that's what I'll just do. I'll just do that. So I'll just start to copy them. Maybe that'll help. Um, just try and mimic every, how do I be human? How do I do this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and, so I would have gone through opiate withdrawals, maybe like, yeah, 20 to 30 times, you know, sometimes that's actually probably more actually, to be honest, um, which is, you know, severe withdrawals of like, okay, I've got to stop, you know, sleepless nights from, you know, a very long period of time, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. And then each time I pick myself back up and I go, that's it. I'm going to change my life, you know, exercise back to work, do this, do that. You know, so I was very determined not to give up, but on the other, the other side of that was, I just kept getting taken under by my addictions. Um, and so eventually at one stage, um, I just had enough, uh, you know, it, it had gotten to the point where I could not use without, it just wasn't doing it for me anymore. I, it just was making wow. me feel more hollow, more empty. You know, I felt, I felt so shut off for myself. I could barely even communicate what was happening to me. Um, and then by the time that I really wanted help, I was just like, you know, I was like, I just need to get into rehab and, and my, uh, I, I wouldn't say it was one decision, but I just remember my entire focus became, I'm going to change my life. I didn't know how, but it was like, I just, as horrible as, and blocked off as I feel, there was some like deep resolution. Like there is nothing that is going to ever stop me from changing my life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that does, in a way, you know, people might hear that and I, and I go, Oh, it must've been this powerful insight of like, you know, you, you feel amazing. You hear a I'd voice no- in your head that said, you will change your life. Yeah. <laughs> I had nothing That's what I that. thought it was like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not like that at all. It's the pit of despair and, and depression and, you know, it's, you're it's the pain that gets you to change, right? Like as yeah. sad as it is, it's the pain and the discomfort that actually propels the change most exactly. times as human beings. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're like, I can't live like this anymore. I need to change. I don't know where to go. And it always starts back with the deepest acceptance of where I am in life and what I can do to move beyond that in a way is like, yeah, like I'm willing to admit everything I know is wrong if I can change this. That's, yeah. that's kind of like where I had to go. It takes a um, to get to a place where you're going like everything I know is wrong. Like I know that <laughs> stuff needs to change. Like it takes a lot to get there, right? And you said like 20, 30 maybe more times that you got to this place. But I'm so curious, what was the idea of rehab like on your first or second time trying? Like what got you to that point where you were ready to go to rehab? Yeah, so the first time I, I kind of went to a two-week, three-week thing and what, what was happening was I tried to give up a lot and um, I just was like eventually after just trying so much, I was like maybe I actually need help. I need to need yeah. to go somewhere, clear my head for a long period of time, get myself out of my current environment and just 
just be in a, an environment which is literally just rehab focused. So I, for two weeks, I went to one private facility um, and that didn't end up, it, it, it was definitely a huge part of the path because what happened was afterwards I relapsed pretty fast. And then I realized that this is going to be, that it's more of a problem than I thought, even though you'd think that you oh, realize wow. that by that stage. But anyway. <laughs> well, we don't really realize things are really a problem, right? Until they smack us three or four times in the face. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you, and now, which is so cool. You see that really clearly. You're like, that had to happen for me to realize how, how big of a problem this was and that it wasn't just going to be solved with two weeks of going away, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then why, relapse and then um that period of time i can't actually remember that well but it was actually there was actually a couple of strokes of luck that i really that i had and um which was um i passed out at the steering wheel of my car wow yeah and the cops found me and i was at i was just at a red light so and they very lucky yeah very lucky yeah and they they cops just pull up and you're just just waiting there yeah i was just yeah just like i think yeah. i was two two meters over the over the line or whatever wow. um and i actually consider this point like one of the like the biggest turning points in my life because and, and it was just re- like so the cops pulled me over um i get down to the side street and i just kind of went that's it i'm done i'm gonna just like i don't care about i don't want to lie i don't want to manipulate anymore i don't want to be part of addiction anymore um i'm at that stage, I was kind of, I think I was going to rehab. I was thinking about it, but I was like, that's, I'm hundred percent all in. And the cops, I told the cops what I believed. I was like, look, I've literally made the decision right now. Like here's the drugs in the <laughs> You're car. like, you put your hands together. You're like, cuff me and take me now. Go, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was just bizarre. I told them like everything. I was like, this is, uh, I've got a job that it was working at the time. So I've got a job. Um, the drugs are in the car. This is what's happened. I didn't, and they just said to me, they're like, look, you're so lucky because we actually have to attend to something much more serious than this. And I was like, what the hell is more serious than this? But anyway, but they're like, <laughs> like, sorry, what about me? I'm just going to change my life over here. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they gave me like, they gave me another chance and they said, wow. you sound so sincere. Um, and they said, we'll give you another chance. And I just literally, I was just like, um, I'm never ever going to betray the trust that those guys gave me because they could have sent me to jail. It could have made my life so much worse. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so then that was kind of like the, the lowest of the low point for me. And then um, after that, uh, I went to rehab, which was grueling. It was like eight weeks of waiting. Cause what was that even like? Oh, boy. <laughs> do you and do you remember it like do you remember I, yeah I, I do remember a lot of it was a lot of it was a, a bit of a fugue state because i was just so disoriented and I, I my whole mission was just like i'm going to stay here and i'm going to uh i'm just going to get as much clean time up as possible yeah. let myself my body and my mind heal and i'm going to um I was, so I was going to na meetings and stuff like that which are really good and um but I, I, the, the program was six months. So it was one of the longest programs. They've kind of reduced it now. It's like an eight month program now. That was at Miracle on the, on the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was like, you know, I remember sitting there and they told us the stats about people that recover, like, especially if they were in rehab and it wasn't good. Yeah, they didn't like purposely sit, sit us down, but it, it just came up, you know. Oh, yeah. well, for the waiting room screen or something. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just like, but it was going around like wildfire in the, in the rehab, like, oh, they, it's like such bad stats, you know, and people were talking about it. Wow. And I think my, I did not see that. I, I saw it as 
I think I can't remember exactly what this what the percent was. It was like, you know, yeah. only like 70% of people fail or something like that, whatever. And I just Something said, oh. really, really horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And I just said, I just remember thinking to myself, I'm in that because then that wins. That's all. You know, I just literally remember there was not even a, a hesitation in my mind. Everyone else was doubting it. And I just sat there, shut up. And I knew what I was going to do for the next, you know, the rest of my life. I was going to commit to it. So, um, isn't that incredible that even in that lowest of low, you still had that where you were like, I'm going to make it like I am. Like, yeah. Yeah. You spoke about determination from very early on. Like you were sound like a determined child with reading yeah. and everything. And you were like, I'm going to, I'm determined to ace rehab. Like I'm going to do this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember reading a book at the time called deepest acceptance by Jeff Foster. Um, and it was just all about accepting the position accepting the position you're at in life and really just coming to terms with it no matter what. And that really spoke to me at that time. And that's what I kind of read um, for a couple of weeks. Um, and then, yeah, after that, I did, I did like, um, yeah, meditation retreats and, 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 and NA and. Um, and so that was, did, after, was that after rehab? Yeah. yeah, that was after rehab. So 2017 I left and then um, kind of 2018 was a pretty easy going year, surprisingly, considering everything I've been through. <laughs> right, I love that you said that. Surprisingly, it wasn't very easy going. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know how, but. Yeah, I, just, I think everything just uh, lined up really well and I was just happy to, I felt like it was a kind of a reward. I was just like, no matter where I was, what I was doing, I was like, I just remember driving around and everything was very peaceful, calm, content. And I just really didn't have any major issues at all for a year. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but then, you know, over time, challenges started to come up and then, what happens is um, as we go through recovery, there is um, pieces of the past that we were pushing down through our addiction mm. um, resurface and start to cause so much chaos and confusion and internal, yeah, internal chaos really. Um, yeah, tell and- us what, what was that like? So you had this, I mean, this might be a terrible word to use, but I'm envisioning you had like a year-long honeymoon period after rehab where yeah, it yeah, was yeah, actually yeah. pretty good and you had your bright, shiny goggles on and you were good and then – you started to sink into life and some of the stuff started to resurface. Yeah. Was it, mm. was it external stuff like old friends or, you know, situations or was it internal stuff that was coming up like feelings in you, like the migraines, for example? Yeah. A lot of it was pretty existential mm. um, at that time because, you know, I had been I, so much of what had, what had happened to me was a kind of self betrayal really like, you know, yeah. all, all that time constantly using, trying to build up self-trust by, um, uh, you know, then, moving yeah. forward in life and then yeah. bang, bang. So you have no faith in yourself at that point. Um, wow. And, and, you know, you, you, I think there's, there's a certain point you get to an addiction that if you really take the leg out from that stable point, it's going to take you a while to, to really get back on top of it. Yeah. It's just one of the, it's just a, you know, if you really undermine that self-trust, it's like, you've got to, you've got to work really hard to get back to back. So you have to prove to yourself and yeah, you, you know, have to learn to understand your mind as well. Um, and that's so, hard. Isn't it? That's really hard to understand that, yeah. your own brain. Yeah, that's that's right. Because yeah, like as recovery goes on and on, um, you know, you're dealing with anxiety and depression and the stress and the confusion of integrating back into regular life. And then yeah, what after happened after rehab? Yeah. Did you like go back into work, or did you have a year a year of bliss, or what, what did that first year look like? So yeah, the first year was uh, pretty chill. I didn't really do too much, and then I decided to go back. I was just going to gym and stuff like that, and yeah. and, and exercise was a huge part of my recovery as well. Like exercise is great, um, 
uh, I was doing a lot of gym. Exercise is just bomb in general, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's so good. It's like, you don't have to, you don't have to worry too much. You just go to the gym and it all take, it takes care of itself a lot of it. And it, it's really funny because what you've shared so much, all your journey and recovery has been about getting out of your head and into your body. And like, that's what the gym represents, right? Like it's getting into your body and like getting out of that brain of yours, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like get, mm-hmm. Keeping active, keeping busy, the natural, you know, de-stress of it, the, yeah, whatever it is. Um, so yeah. Uh, what would happen after that year? Um, I just started, I started working. So I started in youth work. Um, I started, uh, try, I, I really had this idea that I wanted to give back. Yeah. Um, and, and pretty strong within you at that point. Yeah. 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 And, um, I really felt like because of where I've been, I understood, um, really deep trauma, like what someone has been through, what it feels like to have your life be completely out of control and really get to the point of hopelessness and despair and yeah. climb out of that and know and, and build determination from that, that low point. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and really understand that, um, empathy and compassion is such a key part of, of listening to someone in that, in that space. We've got to really meet them on their level as much as we can. And sometimes we're like, five different steps ahead and you know the thing is is it's a funny thing too i've, I've noticed it myself as well because this tendency creeps back in my life as well but <laughs> i actually notice that if i do have that conversation with someone and meet them on their level it's like it's very it feels better yeah. it actually feels better despite what we think about oh well i'm going to just tell them how to live their life but if yeah. you really know how to connect with them on that level the level that they're at it feels better so yeah it's a funny so thing that we do and that's really funny because you said that the first book that you read in rehab was all about like radical acceptance and meeting yourself where you're at it, right and it 100 is that wow. so yeah I, I was doing youth work and i still do youth work um yeah and then from there you know i was doing a lot of meditation retreats um yeah. So what, what brought you into meditation? Like from that, what was, had you always done that or was that something you found in rehab or what, when did that come in? Yeah. So I'd always, from when I, since I was young, I was always interested in, um, consciousness, um, just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just like a real, an I was always, for a kid to be interested in it. Consciousness. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah I know. Just, just more. Yeah. I guess like just the fact that they're, that we're alive and that we're aware that yeah. like was always a deep mystery to me. And I was just fascinated with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't found, I found zero answers to that, but I will, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Under the answers now. But from that led to um, meditation mm-hmm. and then into like meditation and inquiry, which is kind of like East, East and West together, I guess. Yeah. So tell us, so I think everyone listening hopefully knows kind of what meditation is, right? Clearing the mind, wanting to sink in, you know, observing your thoughts, that sort of thing. And then you mm. move into this other level where you're, you're in your recovery and you're starting to feel some of this repressed stuff coming up. So you start your meditation and you learn about this inquiry. So tell us about self-inquiry and what, yeah, what is it? What does it involve and how has it supported you? Yeah. Meditation for me is really about settling back down into whatever it is, it's not, not trying to control or manipulate whatever our current experience is, whether that's thoughts or feelings or emotions. And that doesn't really have a limit. It's not like it should be one way or another, even though there is directions, of course, like I'll control, like these are just kind of pointers to get us to just be as we are. Mm-hmm. And so you start off there, but then with, with the inquiries, you're kind of seeing where the resistances are. So you know, there might be just uncomfortable feelings coming up or whatever it is. And you have this idea like, Oh, I'm going to be present with them and I'm going to be open to them and I'm going to accept them. Right. So I'm imagining you, you're meditating. 
obviously you're meditating yeah, yeah, yeah. and you start feeling an uncomfortable feeling or emotion that normally, and sometimes even in meditation, it's sometimes also a great way to practice pushing stuff down, isn't it? So you can always exactly, get yeah, 100%. Like get back to that clear mind, the clear <laughs> yeah, yeah. view, the nothing, the blank page, you know, which mm. is beautiful and has its place and is, is a skill, right? A mindfulness skill to calm your mind. But yeah. it is also like I 100% have done this many a time, have used it as a way to avoid and get really yeah. good at shoving away my emotions in a very, you know, hashtag spiritual way, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Dalai Lama. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And that's one of the big pitfalls and of, of meditation when you first get into it is like this idea of like, oh, well, I'm going to, because you do experience peace and calm and clarity when you start to meditate. You go, oh, wow, you get back in there and you want to do it again. And it feels so good, doesn't it? For the first yeah, time, just, you're like, oh, Jesus. Okay, yeah. Sanity, thank you for coming. And it's like, <laughs> you're like, I knew I had it somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And then, but then, you know, eventually that becomes another kind of avoidance, like you said, um, where it's just like, and, and really you can be completely unaware that you're doing that if you're doing a lot of meditation. Mm-hmm. You Here's, wouldn't even know that. Yeah, like I, I, mm. I didn't even really connect that that was a thing until I really started going into the journey of like feeling my feelings and emotions and mm. guess where my feelings and emotions like to pop their heads out during my daily meditation practice, you know, and yeah. so long. Like, so here's a question that everyone at home, if you meditate on a regular, on a regular basis, I really want you to ask yourself the next time you go into meditation, are you meditating or are you avoiding? Could be a hard, fun question to ask yourself and to play with. Mm. Yeah. That, yeah. That, and you're right. That, that is a hard, fun yeah. question because it's like, if from that perspective of meditation, if, if you are attached to this idea that it's going to heal you, but you're avoiding stuff, that can be a very confronting question. And it, it would have been a, quite a confronting question for me maybe two years ago or something. <laughs> and you would have been like, no, Kathleen, no, no, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. And there's just like a blanking out too that can happen as well. Like yeah. listening to something like that, you you know, someone suggests something and your mind's automatically what is that? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't even know because it's just like, instead of a, like, a, ow, I shouldn't, yeah. I shouldn't be listening to that. It's just a oh, fog out. I'm not going to listen to that. Yeah. And what I learned, mm. which is why I'm really fascinating about the subconscious is that when you have an idea presented to you that goes against what you believe, your mind is going to reject that information. And something that's so helpful that I've just found making the smallest of shifts when I feel that like, oh, no, that can't be a possibility. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. Is just saying to my brain, hey, what if you just try it on for a second? You know, like, let's just try it. You know, it doesn't have to be my belief. It doesn't have to be true. But what if I just try this? And that links into that real curiosity, right? Which is what self-inquiry is at, at its core is that curiosity, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. So self-inquiry, we're meditating, we're going on the journey, we feel something arising within us and what are you wanting to do with it? How do you start oh, okay. self-inquiry? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So a lot of the time, so what I'm doing is I'm working with whatever the body is presenting. So the suffering or the uncomfortable feelings or whatever, it's the inner thoughts and the feelings and the sensations that are happening in our experience. Um, mm-hmm. So usually I'll start like five, 10 minutes getting in touch with just presence and being, and then start to notice whatever my attention is being drawn to. Um, and what I'm re- what I'm resisting and like just resting with that, with the energy that's there, but then starting to slowly, um, so like say there is something that's said, you got a feeling in the chest, right? Mm-hmm. It's anxiety. You just welcome it. And then I would start like, might say something like, I really want to feel this, not like a validation, but more of a, um, uh, kind of provoking it or like, poking the bear like oh uh, so like that how you break through that resistance it's breaking through the resistance yeah so you because okay. if you're sitting with a feeling like anxiety in the chest 
and you're wrestling with it, often there's feelings underneath that anxiety and thoughts that we're not consciously aware of, but this resistance is happening. And so it just feels like anxiety. But if you gotcha, okay, yeah. so resistance can feel like anxiety. Everybody, exactly. To that, okay, resistance can feel very similar to anxiety. So you're, yeah. so you're almost saying that, like, when you do this this practice of self inquiry, that the first feeling that you feel is probably not the last feeling you're going to feel today. It, okay. Yeah, and it actually, and actually, when uh, I've seen this so many times myself, it's like that feeling has that initial feeling of anxiety has just so many layers to it, really especially with like chronic anxiety, if it's a chronic feeling that comes back in the same place over and over again, mm. you know, it's made up of so many different thoughts and feelings. And, you know, underneath that, yeah. they might be like, Oh, I, I'm just unlovable. Um, or I'm not good enough or whatever it is, but we're pushing it down because like, say, um, we're at work or whatever. It's like, I can't, I can't feel this right now. I've got to do. How <laughs> <laughs> dare I not be lovable while I'm at work, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, well, party. Yeah. 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 And it might be like, Oh, I, I can't feel this now because um, I'll get judged or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And this, these thoughts are not actually consciously accessible. There are some, obviously you can ex- access some of these thoughts and you can see a lot of these thoughts, but they look quite automatically, right? Like when you're, mm. and you said in our chat before you said the word self-preservation, which really is key here, right? Like if you have something come up that you don't want to feel, you don't consciously go, oh, I don't want to feel that. It just happens, right? Exactly, yeah. Like the self-preservation, the protective parts of you are going, oh, well, we're at work now or we're doing this now. And it happens at a level where you you won't actually know that that's happening. And I think that's why your practice of self-inquiry is so important, right? Because we live busy lives. We don't always have the space to process and feel our feelings and emotions, but we all know, and anyone who's listened to this podcast, anyone who's worked with me knows that the value of feeling your feelings and emotions and what can happen from that place and the freedom it can provide, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. And with like a feeling like I'm unlovable or I'm worthless, or there might be some story that is there that comes up and we, we want to like get rid of it or whatever. I found, you know, with my journey with these sort of things, they don't go away really. They're going to be there in some form or another. Do you, yeah. Do you believe, so I, in, in my practice, I call, I refer to something called the core wound. And it essentially is this idea that we are almost born with these unhealable wounds and we're, we're not necessarily meant to get rid of them. Like it's just something that we, we yeah. live with and we experience. And like, we all, I think it's almost our humanness, right? Like, I, yeah, I, I yeah. basically agree. And that's kind of where, where I'm at with, with it all is that, and the suffering comes from all the rejection of that, which is yeah. happening. A lot of it's happening unconscious, which is like why when we get familiar with the stories and the feelings and the sensations through meditation or self-inquiry or somatic therapy or somatic healing or whatever, then we actually, this fear, which we thought was this horrible thing, which is going to destroy us, this unlovability and this worthlessness, which we thought was, if we were to look at it, is actually going to create worthlessness. We're like, this thought can't be here because if I'm thinking this, then it's going to create the worthlessness that I. Yeah. Like, know, it's always like know. when people get really scared that if they think a thought, they're going to manifest it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, babe, you ain't that powerful. All right. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> dollars. All right. There it is. You know, yeah, yeah, that's right. I, and I actually found the opposite to be true, which is that the more that you push it down, the, the more, more that you, comes. the yeah. more you great. Yeah. Because your greatest fears start to live out because the thing is, you know, if you keep pushing down how unlovable you feel or how worthless you feel, mm. what happens is you remain so uncomfortable and afraid and you, you can't connect with other people because if you really just connect with, I feel worthless and I feel like a failure, it doesn't mean that you 
the more and more comfortable you get with it, actually, the less tension there is in your body, less anxiety there is because we're, we're yeah. pushing them away all the time. So, and then it just becomes a matter of just being exactly as you are. And yeah. that's not, it, that mean, it doesn't mean that you're wholly worthless or whatever. It's just a part of you, but you're so terrified and it becomes this huge demon. And um, <laughs> I always call yeah. it my, like my big bear. I always see it as like a oh, yeah. big, like, you know, um, and when you actually realize, and that's why I love parts here. And I love that you said that, that it's just a part of you that feels that from an experience you had from a story, from a thing that has happened to you in your past, where you likely didn't have all the information, you likely didn't have any of your needs met in the experience. So you've created a story to match what you thought had happened, you know? And the more that you become, and this is what's been so prevalent with so many people and what Again, we were talking before about how all these modalities have all these fun different words, but at the core of them, a lot of them are very similar. And I think its essence is when you turn toward your pain and your suffering and you start to accept it instead of rejecting it, you actually lessen the suffering. 100%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you lessen it. And we often think that the big bear or whatever it is is going to kill us or destroy us or... Oh, like, you know, when you do a feel and you're like, oh, I, I know I've got something to deal with in my brain. I know I've got yeah, yeah. to a little trigger or something. And you kind of play, you go on this dance with it, right? Like you like, mm. kind of go, oh, like I'm going to pretend it doesn't exist for a while. And then I'm going to make the promise to myself that I'm going to go into it or I'm going to get some help with it. And then you kind of push mm. it aside for a while and then you play with it a bit more and then you go in and do the work and you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. You know, like when you have like a task, like folding your washing that you put off for like three days. And it, took, and it actually just takes you five minutes and it makes your life so much better, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if my migraines, for example, mm-hmm. like you can see how actually some of this turns into anxiety and uh, depression and painful feelings and so much of fear is actually pain. And so with pushing down this worthlessness and unlovability or whatever the story is that I had when I was younger, that actually caused a lot of my chronic migraines. And so... Uh, yeah, that's been a pretty interesting healing journey. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell us about the the journey with the migraines. So you had them. You got you had them when you were young. You got to the point where the the drugs weren't helping anymore, where it wasn't necessarily even helping you. And then, what was that like after after rehab? Yeah, so the migraines went. I wouldn't say they went away, but they kind of changed form for a while when I was doing a fair bit of meditation. Um, but then they started to come back again, and then they became pretty intense. And I was like what I'm doing is not working and I've got to look into this. And, um, you know, with the migraines, I really, it's just, they're so painful. Like I can't even describe how painful they are. Mm-hmm. And I was getting them over and over again and they would leave me very confused. Um, but then I started to just question the whole thing. Like, what if I just welcomed this pain? What if I work with it? Um, and then I was really surprised with, first of all, how it can how oblivious you are to the fact that they're emotional repression. And then secondly, when you that get like to the other side, could be emotional repression, like how it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's like, you know, when you get that headache, that real painful headache and you're just uh-huh. like, Oh, this is just stress or whatever. The fact that you, it's like going, it's like it, that whole thing would dissolve into sadness and whatever, whatever emotions I was going through. Mm-hmm. And I would just feel so relieved afterwards. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there suffering from chronic migraines that just never, they get given medications, they get given this and given that. Um, yeah. Wow. And you, you mentioned while we were chatting that the reason that you had, you were forced to, right. You were like, fuck, I'm getting these migraines. I don't want to start taking any pills to help me with them because I know my journey. And so you were like, I have to figure this out. I have to figure it out. You know, I've got to, I've got to explore yeah. pain and see what it is. Do you think it would apply or have you ever experienced 
it in relation to anything other than migraines? Do you think the physical manifestation of pain is, is related to emotional suffering or repression or resistance? Yeah, definitely. I had that a lot with my lower back um, when I started to work with a fair bit of anger repression. So I'll get like this twinge in my lower back and it was a pre-existing injury, but it got much worse and I'll get like a sharp jabbing pain. And then through doing the inquiry um, method of just like working with repressed anger, I found there was just by going into it, I was like, oh my God, there's all this anger at this and that through right in the sensation itself. Um, and also uh, I had a neck injury um, from, I followed my brother, Matt, was skiing in New Zealand actually. And, uh, <laughs> I, and I followed him up this jump and I absolutely axed myself. Um, and I hurt my neck and I kept going to physio and they said, I'll do all these physio exercises. So I did that. They helped a bit. But when I was doing my meditation, I noticed I could bring my awareness to it and consciously relax all the muscles. And that helped just as much. Tremendously. Um, eh? Yeah. Cause I think the tension is almost the same as the word you would use to describe resisting an emotion. The tension around the area is almost what you use to describe to describe how the softening and actually letting the pain in, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. And um, and it makes sense that because you know if you are experiencing emotional distress and you're afraid, your body is going to respond, right? It's, it's going to tense up. Hey, that self-protective is going to go. Ugh, yeah, it's going to tense up. And so if we have an injury, then when we're angry or stressed in real life, that's going to be associated with the injury as well. Of course, because um, the mind makes links, eh? and it likes to make these stories that when this feeling in the body happened, it happened because of X scenario, you know? Um, yeah. and, and isn't that fascinating when you break that down and go, oh, it actually, it didn't really have anything to do with that. My, my body just thinks that it does, you know? It's linked it yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just as things happen at roughly the same time, it doesn't. It's just like, oh, I better, I better link those neurons together because I think the rule is like, if neurons fire together, they wire together. Yes, our brains are are trained to to pick and see patterns. Like even, it was really fascinating one time when I was working with my one of my clients around the brain picking patterns and seeing, you know, seeing like, oh, this happened in my past. You know, I was abandoned in this scenario, and then ten years later, I was also abandoned in this scenario. Even though they were totally different, the brain still went abandonment, abandonment. And what she yeah. got to watch was the developmental stage in her own child. She got to watch her kid, who was I think he was about a year or a year and a half, go. Um, it was a red car, like a red toy car and a red apple. And he went like, he went same and he would get them confused and he would go, no, no, they're yeah. the same. trying to eat the car, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. the apple. And she was, and we were going through this at this exact time. And she was like, holy crap. She was like, it is a developmental stage where your brain learns to go same, same, you know, like yeah. how cool is that? that she, first of all, she got to actually see that in real life and go, Oh, that's what my brain's doing. You know, even though she got to witness it in her child. Yeah, yeah. My um, I I have no idea if this is actually true about my migraines, but this is just going. My current theory on it is basically that, you know, because people are apparently genetically predisposed to migraines. Like, um, it's apparently what the case is. But I think that, you know, for me, for example, when I was young, I was having emotions that I became afraid of. Maybe I was predisposed to fear and anxiety. I remember being quite an anxious kid. Yeah. And then, so what happens is there's a fight or flight response that starts to happen that is now associated with a particular emotion. And then every time that emotion is triggered, there's a fight or flight response that happens and it's just overblown and it becomes, all you can see is just oh, this fear and, and um, pain and uncomfortability. And over time that just gets out of control and that turns into migraines. And then you, you slowly undo that um, psychosomatically through mm. the meditation inquiry practice. 
Yeah. So that's the process that you've gone through to support yourself with your migraines. And how are the migraines now? Um, yeah, really good, actually. Really good. Um, we were yeah. saying before, you don't want to jinx it and say you've hashtag cured. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> but they're better. Yeah. Much better, yeah. So I used to get them crippling pain. And now when I get them, um, it's much more obvious that they're a much more drawn out sort of emotional process rather than rather, rather than the pain all being up here. It's like in the body and it's not as, mm. yes, it's not as intellectual or whatever. Yeah, I love it. Okay, I have a final couple of questions to really ground this in to people who want to start doing this process of self-inquiry, feeling their feelings, freeing themselves from pain, all that good stuff. Now, how on God's good earth would you recommend to poke the resistance or to, you know, when you're resisting a feeling or emotion, what is the way that you practice that? What's your best tips there? Yeah, well, definitely um, getting a good meditation practice is the start for that because that way you can clearly listen to your body's response. Um, because if we're caught up being anxious and just living our regular life, it's very hard to just like really truly listen to what that body, what our, what our emotions and what our feelings are saying. So basically what you're doing is getting yourself into a calm, restful state of mind. And then with the feeling, if you suspect it might be anger or sadness or whatever, let's just say it's anger, you'll be bringing up that feeling and then making it as clear as possible. And then you're trying to basically provoke it. So, you know, it's anger. And so you go, you basically do the opposite of it. So you go, I'm not angry. And then you listen to the response. Oh. And then, uh, yeah. And then try to. Like, you like reverse psychology. Reverse yeah. psychology. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was so, not expecting that. That's yeah, yeah. I'm almost seeing like, like if we put this into the lens of say inner child work, you know, and you can see like a grumpy inner child and you're like, I'm not, I know you're not grumpy. I know. Yeah. I know. I, yeah. I, I, I thought that was kind of hilarious too. Cause when I first started doing it, I was like, cause you know how reverse psychology is kind of like this. Everyone makes jokes about it and it's just so... Uh, it works. It does, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, by, it's kind of like you're provoking and, and you've got to do it a few times because it requires a bit of skill to really tune into it. But right. then you'll be surprised. And the basic idea is that like once you start to get this reaction, there's further lay- layers and levels to it, which is kind of why you'd like, you'd be surprised. Like if, if you were to do something like this, it's kind of like a mini guided trip or something. You'll go, wow. <laughs> like un- undoing repression is really like like true repression, emotional repression is actually like, you will be constantly surprised at what you're thinking mm, because it's so hidden from your, it's right. It's all under the hood, like, and, and, you know, layers within layers. And then the surprise is like, you, you'll go, Oh my God, I can't believe I, I was thinking that I was feeling that. And then you process something about just being aware of it, being conscious of it, um, allows you to process it. So yeah, you, you've just got to basically use that reverse inquiry and then I see you're yeah. poking the bear. So you could yeah. almost envision it as like if somebody is more of a visual learner or they could envision it as like a young version of them, you know, being like, I'm not feeling that way, you know, and kind of get them and to be like, well, okay. You know, like, is that how you would almost uh, tease the reaction out? That's a great idea. Yeah, exactly. Like whatever this feeling is, you know, you just imagine it as, yeah, like, yeah, like exactly what you said. And you're just, you've got to just be intuitive about it this works uh, even just with acceptance of, of resistance and the feeling. So like, say so you, you might be sitting with this anxious feeling and you might go, I really accept that because you know, you know how he was talking about how like when you first start these awareness practices out, you're very like this and you're like, I'm so accepting. <laughs> and I think that was laced with sarcasm there. <laughs> well, I do it. Too, yeah. <laughs> I still accept this emotion. Yeah. yeah but you think yeah. you are, you know, like, you, you have yeah. genuine intention to do it. You want, yeah, that's the word, right? Genuine mm. intention to do it. Yeah. 
about just on an energetic level like if you were if you had to get that tattooed on your forehead would you let them tattoo it on your forehead you know that's a terrible example but you know like and I think that radical acceptance takes time and so would you say with your practice of self-inquiry did it take you some time to really build it up as a skill and as a practice and to get kind of good at doing it with yourself? Yeah, that's, there's a lot of other small skills as well. Um, because, it, it, yeah. yeah, it's you, you would have to really t- learn it properly um, through um, some, a teacher because knowing where you're at even with the inquiry, so you can start inquiring, inquiring, and then you're like, wait a second, what am I supposed to do right now? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then just even understanding like one key thing is like there's this, le- this first level of resistance I think is, um, is that the big is, one? The big that's one. the big one. The, the, yeah. Is that first level is like, we think that we're being, when we're being present with something that we're accepting it, we have this, like, like I said before, this genuine intention to be with it. We're like, well, that's the whole reason we sat down to practice is to be with it. But if you do some inquiries, like some reverse inquiries, like I really want to feel this. And then you'll notice just, just, you know, if you listen for a while, you might notice like like i don't want to feel this like fuck no yeah yeah like i don't want to feel this and you go wait a second i was sitting here trying to be present with this and thought it was accepting it so then you bring that up make that clear rest with that for a while feel the energy of that resistance and and you'll notice that that's just different to just looking at the words if you just look at the words then they'll just drop away and and it won't be the same opening effect if you really look at the all of the resistant layers that are there then the sadness and and the angle whatever's underneath will come up much easier and then the, the memories and associations that are underneath that will become much more easily seen and, and experienced as well. Right. So there is a big layer of resistance. I think all of us human beings get to work through first, right? And yeah. from there, I guess it becomes easier and harder in both in both senses of the word, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think another level. The, yeah. 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 The first layer is like you get through and you really do feel like you're in touch with yourself again because it's like, oh, no, I've, I've really felt this my whole life and I've just pushed yeah. it down. Can I ask, what was that like for you to really feel in touch with yourself after such a long time of being so disconnected? It was pretty shocking, to be honest, because I had like, especially the initial movement through all the layers of repression of like the no, no. I I thought that I was someone who really, uh, it just eroded my sense of self completely, actually. And and there is, there is a lot of fear to move through that because your entire sense of self is built on repression and <laughs> avoidance and you're not aware of it and because of these are all safety mechanisms they're all t- designed to keep us safe letting go of safety is fear so there's there's no way through healing and into feeling more complete as a as a person without experiencing immense fear at least that's been my experience and you know all yeah yeah totally agree yeah Fear work is the most transformative work you could possibly do. Like, yeah, if you want to grow and you want to transform. Go look at what you're afraid of. You know, yeah, and, like, feel and experience that and see and like what you said in the whole experience of the self inquiry is that usually the first thing that you're afraid of, the first thing that comes to mind, has like it's got nothing on what's at the root of it, right? Like it'll be no, yeah, yeah, like completely yeah. different. Yeah, yeah, and especially like when you're doing it, it's like I you'll notice actually so much of his mental is located up in the head. But then as you go through that, it's like, Oh, actually I'm missing out on my whole, what my body's telling me right now. And my, like my body's- so much information, right? Cause you're so stuck up here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Final question. Mm. Yeah. Where do people start this? What we would, where can they start? Where can they learn more? What would you recommend as a, as a daily practice for, like what would be your, your beginner starter package, you know? Yeah, true. Um, yeah. So um, any meditation that really resonates with you is a great entry level practice. Um, 
And um, from there, if you want to do like um, self-inquiry stuff, I um, go on to, I learned a fair bit of this off of a guy called Scott Killaby. Okay. Yeah. I will link um, to the show notes, by the way, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And so he basically healed his back pain through this kind of inquiry. Um, and uh, there's a whole form of people that do this kind of work as well. Um, and and so, and I, I also use um, Insight Timer and things like that. But, oh, yeah. so good, eh? Like Insight Timer is just frigging gold. Like you could go crazy on there, but like, yeah. I, like I think what, what it comes down to essentially is if you want to start feeling your feelings, start with some sort of meditation practice, you know, and maybe it's not the one where it's about clearing your mind. Maybe it's one where you're, you're you know, letting, feeling anything that's in your body, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And I, I especially think that if you want to start feeling feelings, like you said, it's like, okay, when we're meditating, it's not about clearing our thoughts, not about clearing the feelings out necessarily. It's more about, so that will happen. That'll be the outcome of you processing everything. If you process oh my God, there. that's a good way to describe it. So that's like, that's the end result is the clear, calm, tranquil, you know, peace of mind. That's the end of your meditation yeah. practice. The start is yeah. Yeah, dealing with pain. <laughs> yeah, deal with like it. dealing with all the thoughts that are there. Yeah. So like, yeah, for me, I think, especially because I'm such a chronic repressor, a lot of it would be all the thoughts. I like, so I would bring up all my thoughts, make sure that I'm seeing all my thoughts rather than pushing them away. The instinct is that, oh, I need to get rid of this feeling and this sensation but just making the thoughts clear, making the feelings clear as possible. Mm -hmm. Outcome of that is great experience. So. I love it. Okay. Well, maybe you and I will do our homework and we'll try and find a nice guided meditation on Insight Timer that we can put in the show notes so people have something to start with, eh? Yeah, true. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yep. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, beautiful. Thank Sweet. you so much for being so vulnerable and awesome and just sharing all of your knowledge and excitement and your journey. That was friggin' awesome. I'm excited to go and poke the bear and ask myself. <laughs> yeah, I'll show, you, I'll show you some. Yeah, show me yeah. some. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but is there anything that you want to share? Where can people find and connect with you on social media? Oh uh, yeah. So I've got, um, an Instagram and a TikTok. um, waking up from addiction is, um, is my name on both of them. And yeah. So I just, I just post some reels and just some quick insights that I have. Usually I've got a couple of instructional videos. Um, um, but yeah. I love it. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to share before we pop off for this? I would say that if you have chronic addictions and you have anxiety and trauma, really focus for me all the growth has come from um getting in touch with my emotions and what i'm really feeling and um that seems <laughs> you know if you had said that to me two or three years ago i would have been like yeah i'm feeling my feelings i'm trying my best i'm meditating i'm doing this sort of stuff but um i think there's our mind can be very tricky and can push away these things before we realize that we're actually feeling them so what an incredible episode what an incredible story and so much information here i think the point that was really driven home today was that emotional suppression pushing away your feelings avoiding them numbing them is causing pain whether that's emotional or whether it's physical and that there is true freedom that comes from locating and feeling those repressed emotions and finding a practice to feel and express our emotions that are coming through in our daily lives emotions are energy and motion they are made to be felt and experienced and unfortunately we live in a society that has encouraged the opposite so if you are on this journey of healing and you're looking to start a daily practice I really recommend you to have a look on the show notes I've popped a few practices and meditations in there on insight timer I've also linked through to Scott Killaby where you can learn more about the practice of self-inquiry and maybe start going on a bit of a journey with yourself also make sure you please follow Jacob he shares so much valuable information as well as tools and I know he'll be continuing to share more in the future 
As always, you know that my number one tip and advice here with feeling your feelings is to build this into your life. You might not have to sit down and do an hour-long meditation where you cry and, you know, have a big release. That might feel really overwhelming to so many of us, you know. And so I encourage you to start a daily practice where each day you commit 30 seconds, one minute, whatever it is that you can manage to just checking in with yourself, seeing how you're feeling, seeing what energy and what emotions are present in your body and what they feel like. If you need support, please reach out to myself or to Jacob. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to share this and make sure to rate and review the podcast. Remember that you are amazing. Remember that you are so worthy and so capable and that the key to healing is really feeling.